Talkers. Speak and Destroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is comedian Don Jameson, stand-up comedian who first rose to prominence in the metal world as co-host of VH1 Classics' That Metal Show. He's a prolific joke writer, he's been heard on The Howard Stern Show, and he's an Emmy Award winner for his work on HBO's Inside the NFL. Jameson has released four comedy albums and toured as the opening act for Andrew Dice Clay and the band Pop Evil. He's hung out with the Metallica guys several times, and even performed at the inaugural Orion Music and More Festival, where he was brought on stage and introduced by Lars Ulrich. A great way to support the podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. Like this one from Burning Fight, which says, Excellent, informative, unique. As with all of his projects, Ryan Downey conveys his passion for the subject with an informed yet down-to-earth perspective. Wow, thank you. Thus far, the content and presentation are engaging and fun. Downey is arguably among the top Metallica historians slash nerds out there, and his devotion to the band brings about fantastic episodes. Great so far. Thanks, Burning Fight. Problematic 3 says, Awesome professional podcast. The host is an eloquent-sounding fan of this amazing band that us, the listeners, love and sometimes worship. A fan for a decade and a half now, I may not be an old-school fan, but I love all of their music, old and new. Creative, original, unique, with a varied catalog, no two albums are the same. Their songs are fast, slow, mid-tempo, technical, emotional, and melodic are their songs. They aren't a perfect band, but they are definitely my band. Phantom Lord 3 says, Most Intriguing Metallica Podcast. There are a few other Metallica podcasts out there, but what I really like about this podcast is getting to see a different side of Metallica through the eyes of those within the industry. I consider myself someone who is very knowledgeable about Metallica, and it's great to find a podcast where I can continue to learn new things about my favorite band. The interviews are really great and thorough, and the guests are pretty phenomenal. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to many more episodes. P.S. He may sound like Seth Rogen, but he's not. (laughs) That's an inside joke I should probably explain at some point. I might have already on the podcast. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. You can find Speaking Destroy at SpeakingDestroy.com and follow Speaking Destroy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Please subscribe to this podcast and the others in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, including Pop Curse and No Prize from God. So here it is, my conversation with comedian Don Jameson. This is Speak and Destroy. I'm an open book, so you can ask me anything. Perfect. Well, then the first thing I want to ask you about is my good friend and longtime management client, Zeus, tells me uh-huh. that you have the worst farts he's ever smelled <laughs> come out of a human being in his life. <laughs> and he, he said that that's the first thing I should ask you about. <laughs> okay, so we've started the podcast. All right. Yes. <laughs> we're just, just, just dropping a bomb, as it were, right from the beginning. Pun intended. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of good stories. The the one he's referring to was um, 
when uh, he was uh, recording with the Murder Dolls mm -hmm. in L.A. And Florentine and I were out there filming that metal show. And they said, hey, why don't you come up to the studio and hang? Uh, which was, you know, a huge mistake on their part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> little did they know, Ryan. Yeah. Um, but uh, whatever was going on, in, whatever injustices were going on inside uh, my stomach, uh, I took out in their studio. And... Um, I drove everybody out of the studio except for two people. You know, Joey Jordison ran out, Zeus ran out. Um, the only people that stayed in, actually, I think the only person that stayed in was Wednesday 13. And he just said, he, he was defiant. He just sat there and he looked at the other guys and he goes, guys, guys, come on. This band deserves to be in stink. <laughs> I was going to say, he probably had some kind of spooky, supernatural <laughs> summoning, like, you know. The dark, the dark magic of the cloud that you had left. Yeah, he did and then, something evil with it. Yeah, and then their tour manager at the time, uh, Sully. Oh yeah, he, Sully the Bull, he, another old friend of mine. Yeah, so Sully, Sully texted Florentine, like, uh, like in the middle of the night, that night, and he said, "I had to get up at three in the morning and go to you know the twenty-four hour Ralphs and get like mouthwash because I could still <laughs> the, the taste and the smell was." still in my head i couldn't get it out <laughs> <laughs> it just lingered did you have to let it linger oh wow. it, yeah yeah and then the, the, the other one that i'll tell you is uh, well and, and real quick before we get off of that one and which we can definitely get off of it but uh zeus said that he's got photos of of you know guys <laughs> like <laughs> pulling their shirts up over their face uh but go on so yeah so there's more now, I mean, Ryan, why is it for guys that, that it's still funny when we're in our 50s? I mean, it, it I is. Don't just, I don't know. I don't know, but it is. I laughed so hard when he told me that. I was literally just talking to him right before we got on. I said, oh, I got to go. I'm interviewing Don Jameson for the Metallica podcast. And he was like, Don Jameson. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that guy. Um, so... I knew so, and so yeah. So I and connected with that was I, you know, Jim and I got to be good friends with Joey Jordison, and when when Slipknot um, headlined Madison Square Garden for their very first time, Joey texted us. He's like, guys, please come to the show. We're so excited, you know. This is and he's a big Andrew Ice Clay fan, like Jim and I were, uh, or and still are. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, I can't believe I'm playing where Dice headlined and all these other great Zeppelin, you know, and all that and Kiss and. So he was really excited, um, and we knew Mick, but we didn't know Corey yet. Um, but this is the first time I met Corey. Uh, it was at the after party um, after we were all. Um, they had a party like there's a secret bar in the middle of the Madison Square Garden, and we went down there, and we're hanging out. And I, again, I don't know what I was, what was going on, you know, in my innards, but it, it was bad. And when Florentine's there, he eggs me on, you know. So I let a little out. He starts giggling, and then, then you know the floodgates open. So I'm standing, we're standing there, I think with the guys at Mastodon and Coheed and Cambria were there and Richard Christie from the Stern show was there mm -hmm. wearing a diaper, of course. And um, it was a wonderful celebration until I just, I just lost control. And it, the next thing you know, it's me and Jim uh, giggling like six year olds on one side and like 200 people all the way on the other side of the room. It reeks so bad, right? Because, because Jim's probably developed a, a certain immunity, right, at this point, just from being around the, uh, 
<laughs> the hazardous well, gas. Well, his, his are bad, too. He once tried to sell me one of his cars that he was getting rid of. But I said, I go, your farts are too deep in the fabrics. I'll never get it out. So uh, we're just going to do an hour on farts. Indeed. Uh, this will be the first episode my kids love. <laughs> so, and then, uh, wait, so then, Cor so now Corey Taylor is coming down the hallway. We see him coming into the, to the bar area where they're having the party and his uh -huh. fist is up in the air and he's going, yeah, motherfucker. You know, we, oh, sorry. I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mother effer. We've just had line Madison square garden, man. Let's party. And minute, 20 seconds after he got into the party, he just went, oh, my God, what is that smell? It smells like beer and shit. And he took off and he ran out of the party and I ruined it for him. His first time headline in the garden completely ruined by this idiot from a basic cable show with bad farts. Could it have smelled worse than the inside of their masks? Because I've heard tales about <laughs> yeah. vomit and, and sweat and spit and... <laughs> you know, stank breath and everything else that gets fogged up inside those masks. So, if if it if it shocked one of those guys, <laughs> it had to be truly shocking. Yeah, and, and then when he came and did that metal show for the first time, he's like, "Oh, I remember you." <laughs> <laughs> I go the farts. He goes, "Yeah, man, that that night at the garden was brutal, man." I go, "Yeah, sorry." So, well, are you ready for the greatest uh, segue in the history of podcasting? Let's go. Have you ever farted in front of Metallica? Um, no. Why? Do you, have you? <laughs> no. I'm just, you know, being, it's the Metallica podcast and we're talking oh, about Oh, that's, farts. yeah, right. Speak and destroy. Um, no. Maybe it wasn't uh, the greatest segue in the history of podcasting then. No, I oversold you it. Just, you, you just reminded me that on that metal show, uh, Jim and I farted while Slash was on. Why is this and funny? I don't know, but if I, I'm like, hey, I, I, you know, my favorite comedians are like Norm Macdonald and Anthony Jeselnik. You know, I like some smart comedy. Why is this so funny to me? <laughs> well, it's just because I'm farting on rock stars, you know. I mean, it's like you're not anybody else would be so excited. And Slash is a great guy, and we've met him a bunch of times. <laughs> but I think that same day we used to tape two shows, and on the first show, Hart was on. Uh -huh. And it's like, you know, we're not going to do that You're kind of it in. Yeah. in front of hard. Um, but Fair then enough. by the time Slash got out there for the second show, Jim and I were like, you know, we had eaten catering and all that stuff. And, and you'd been holding it in around the sisters, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so now he and I, then I, of course, you know, one of us started and the other one, you know, picked up on it. And we both started and we got backstage after the taping. We're like, Slash, was that all right? And he goes, yeah, it was fine. But man, it fucking stunk out there. <laughs> and, do, and do you confess at that point or you just go yeah oh, what was that <laughs> whenever whenever there was a situation where jim and eddie and i were in the same room and there was farting we, jim and i would instinctually just both point at eddie oh brilliant you know Poor eddie blame it on the big guy <laughs> i was gonna say it's it's sadly <laughs> believable <laughs> oh man yeah uh i've had the opportunity to meet and, and interview slash in a, a few different settings and yeah super super nice and chill guy i actually did the i interviewed him for dave mustaine's new book the book about uh the making of rust in peace mm -hmm. and it was the 11th hour like the book was finished and about to go to press and then dave calls up his management and says hey we should get slash in the book 
and and the guy who wrote the book with dave was already like off the gig like it was all wrapped up and whatever so long story short new year's day actually uh one of my buddies at dave's management called me and asked me if i wanted to talk to slash for the book and then i had the idea once i got talking with slash i was like hey what you know this is great stuff i don't know how they plan on integrating it into the already finished book how would you feel about me turning this into a forward and um hmm. yeah that's it ended up forward by slash as told too so pretty pretty psyched about that I, yeah you know, your interviews are great man so uh that's cool that you got to do that yeah it was uh, super fun um so let's start at the beginning so to speak which is and this is going to be a fun kind of dual question given the nature of your your overlapping interests and mine when and how did you first fall in love with music same question comedy and for both things when did you turn the corner where you realized okay this isn't just something I love. This is something I need to participate in. I need to create. I, I'm not just in the audience. I gotta, I gotta be yeah. in, in this. What, yeah, what man. Well, for, I think for me, being turned on to both of them seemed almost simultaneous because I could remember being, you know, like probably 12 years old and and having Kiss Destroyer and George Carlin Occupation Fool um, at the same time and thinking sort of the same thing about both. Like, this is great because my parents hate both of these <laughs> yeah so i immediately love both of these and, and these things um, are both smarter than they look you know <laughs> like <laughs> people assume that it's something really dumb and then when you actually dig into it it's like no it's uh, it's it's has much more value than you might realize and much more value than things that you probably think are valuable yeah and so once you know it's once you know it you understand that it's subversive for some reason yeah. um especially at 12 you love it even more and um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, man. I just always, I always made that connection in my brain between comedy and hard rock and metal before I was a performer. I just always found the humor in, you know, I mean, how could you not, you know, find humor in a bunch of grown men wearing clown makeup and Halloween costumes, you know? Yes, indeed. <laughs> but, but simultaneously, Ryan, they were, it was the coolest thing ever. You mm -hmm. know, they're superheroes, they're comic book characters, and they're rock stars all wrapped up into one. But yeah, back in the back of my mind, I always thought like, yeah, there's, there's definitely inherent humor in all this stuff. And uh, even though I didn't understand a lot of the things that George Carlin was talking about at the time, again, I just knew like, you know, my parents can't hear me listening to this. You know, I gotta wait till they go to bed. So uh, yeah, I always, those two worlds I always loved. Uh, I love I love the idea of the the intersection there. Yeah, because for me, I, you know, I, I there were a lot of things in pop culture that I love: music, comic books, comedy, and especially as an adult, I realized maybe, I guess five or ten years ago, I've always loved stand up comedy. Of course, there's this like boon of it right now. Uh, you know, watched a lot of the classic HBO specials, had some of the albums, followed different comedians, but really in the last like 10 years, I had this moment where I was like, you know, after being so immersed, I think on the professional side in music and film, TV and all that stuff, I really, it was, I don't know. It was like, I had this uh, new sort of renaissance. It was almost like discovering heavy metal for the first time all over again of getting really into comedy and then going like, Hey, I live, I live in California. There's all these great comedians all the time working out new stuff, coming up with, you know, 
their notes and, <laughs> you know, playing in these tiny rooms and stuff. And, and I, I turned it, I'm that guy that comes to your shows by himself. <laughs> Like, you know, when you see the weirdo that's like the comedy yeah. nerd who's like, he's not even with a bunch of friends. He's just here. Yeah. He's not drinking. He's just here. Uh, yeah, I turned into that guy a few years ago. And, um, you know, there's just something about the the culture of it, the community of it, the art of it. And so, of course, naturally, being a metal guy all my life, uh, you know, I, I feel a certain kinship with what you do and what Florentine does and Brian Posehn and you know some of the the metal comics if you will not not to say that you you're just in that box because what all of you do I think is is broader than that I don't you probably know Dean Del Rey of course Um, I just had Dean uh on the on the podcast a little while back I've known Dean for for a while and yeah and he's another one you know where it's like he's he doesn't want to be in the box of the rock and roll comic uh and yet he's you know it's like dude you're you know your podcast you is named after ACDC. Yeah. You are. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, there's not really a question in there, but that's just more show and well, tell, I, think, I guess. Yeah. I, no, and I, there's a certain rebellion in both art forms, you know. Mm. Um, so for me, for me, the, the next connection, and, and I wear it proudly on my sleeve. You know, I don't want to be billed as the rock and roll comic when I play a regular comedy club, but if that portion of my audience you know knows me for that I, you know of course i love that because i go out and open for bands so you know uh i wear you know i definitely wear that proudly and um but but yeah the the second time it really started to make sense to me ryan was was when comics became rock stars like when dice you know dice put on the yes. leather jacket he had the attitude he's opening for guns and roses in front of eighty thousand people you know um kinnison with the wild thing hanging out with with slash and and all the sunset strip bands and kinnison and big time and, i mean yeah you know. making a music video that was on headbangers ball <laughs> you know with all the hair metal guys yeah, yeah. kinnison was big time yeah that's a great point that there was you know, Eddie Murphy in Raw and the like leather out, you know, there was a, a rock mm-hmm. stardom that started to enter into comedy where it wasn't just stand-ups weren't just, you know, they were still the outcasts, but they were outcasts in the way that like rock stars were outcasts, you know, like this guy's weird, but he's cool. You well, know? yeah, and you could give more of a show than just a guy standing there talking into the mic, yeah. you know, you, and, and, and that maybe just, and even if you're not necessarily, you know, Dice didn't necessarily talk about, you know, hard rock and metal in his act. It was just all the attitude of it and, mm-hmm. and having, and, you know, and, and to me that, that just, I was like, yeah, those are the kind of comics I like. Even Bobcat Goldthwait, you know, yeah. he opened for Nirvana on their first US yeah. tour. So it was cool back then for comics to open for bands. And then it was so not cool for like 25 years. Um, so, you know, I'm proud to be in that group of guys who have, been doing it now for a while again yeah brewer myself dean you know he's been out opening for bands florentine craig gas so you know we're a small we can all work you know we could work a nursing home we could work a children's party we could work a college you know a regular comedy club but you know we're one of a very small amount of people that will actually go out and and face those those hard rock and heavy metal crowds and yeah I remember when uh, when Jim Norton had that show. Uh, I think it might have been on HBO actually, but where Lemmy was his DJ, yeah. you know, and then he did the specials with, where you know Ozzy was in the in the intro and and things like that. It is it is definitely like a a subculture within a subculture of like 
comics who love metal. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a crew and it's like, and it usually, if you're a fan of, of one of you, you're a fan of all of you. I would, I would imagine you've run into that a lot too. Where people kind of group you guys together the same way that we're like, you know, Bay area thrash bands, we group together and new wave of British heavy metal and, you know, the metal comics. Uh, yeah. So what was your first experience with Metallica? Obviously kiss was pivotal for you as it was for a lot of people. Uh, myself included, and a lot of people have been on the podcast, David Elfson, uh I'm sure as, as you know, Kiss comes up in conversation a lot. When did uh, Metallica enter into the picture for you? What was the discovery point? Yeah, the discovery point was was definitely I was in high school, maybe a sophomore or junior, and, and uh, went over to my buddy Eddie Van Curen's house because he had a hot mom, so we always used to hang at his house. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, he always had he was always kind of a half a step ahead of us in terms of music. And my first experience with hearing you know Kill 'Em All was like, I don't get this. Right, understandable. Yeah, like this is too crazy fast. Like this is nuts. Like no, this no people can't play like this. You know, I was you know I was firmly like into you know, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and, and a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal at that time, Saxon. And so I was just like, yeah, this is like, no, this doesn't make sense. This is, this is too extreme for me. And it's funny now you listen to Kill Em All and you're like, you know, most bands play this fast now. But yeah. back then, you know, it's hard for people to remember, but back then they, that was outrageous. And so yeah. uh, it took a while, it took to the second album, it took to ride the lightning for me to go, okay, yeah, I, I get this now. It's a little more, this is a little more refined, um, which I like. And um, so, yeah. And then I was a fan after that forever. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely important for people listening who weren't uh, of age in that era to understand that hearing something like kill them all in context, of what had come before and what was around. It was like listening to Napalm Death for the first time or, or Skrillex or, you know, something that's just like, what? Like, I kind of understand what this is in the way that it relates to everything else, but it's so different and it's so crazy. Like, are these even people playing this? You know? And, <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's, it's easy to forget now. And like you said, you listen to Kill Em All now and it's like, oh, this is like a, mid-tempo like metallica demo <laughs> you know <laughs> but but yeah i like that they were kind of ugly you know that yeah that was a turn on to me because you know it was like you know at that point i was judging everybody by motorhead standards you know mm. it's like if you're as ugly as motorhead I'll, I'll like you no matter what and metallica wasn't quite that ugly on the on the back cover of kill them all but they were close they were trying and, uh, yeah I, fact, I wanted to like them yeah but, uh, like i said i i was so i was a little late with them I would I would say on the back of Kill 'Em All even that they were that they were decent looking guys who were trying to look ugly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were they really went for it. It's kind of like it's kind of like the thing that you know, Jared Leto and and uh, Johnny Depp. Like there's some of these celebrities where they're some of these actor guys where they're so impossibly wonderful looking that you can tell they're tortured <laughs> by it, and so they do all this stuff to like make themselves less attractive. Um, it doesn't work, but they try so hard. They're so upset about how attractive they are. It's not quite that level, but, uh, but yeah, I, I appreciated that discovering the band early on myself in an era when, cause I, you know, I came into them a little bit later. Master of Puppets was 
actually Jason Newstead had really just joined the band when I discovered Metallica and, uh, and hard rock was dominated then by spandex and poofy hair and groupies and that whole scene uh, was extremely popular. And so, yeah, I appreciated that this was mean, fast, unattractive, um, harder to gain entry to, I suppose, you know, there was a little bit more gatekeeping to it. And, and it was still an era where when you saw someone with a Metallica patch, you were like, ah, my people, you know, like we're <laughs> you, me, we friends, you know, cause <laughs> there's only 10 of you in a, you know, a high school of, you know, hundreds. Uh, and, and that, you know, and I think that that's an attitude that has persisted even no matter how big the band gets, there's still that, that same spark, that same skeleton, you know, that was there, that foundation. I feel like they've built on that as opposed to, you know, moving two houses down or whatever, as some bands do. And well, I think that, that's yeah, why we're still talking about them, you know? He, of course. And it, and because once I was on board, I was really on board. But who who would ever think the biggest curveball Metallica ever threw me was Kill Em All after they've made albums like St. Anger and Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I kind of got them by then. I kind of, you know, I, I understood them and I understood what they were doing. Um, I always say this, you know, and, 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 you know, when Priest tried with the guitar synthesizers and, yeah. you know, on Turbo in that time period and where everybody was sort of getting poppy. But, but in general, I always did love the bands that tried something different, even if it didn't work. Um, very few exceptions, you know, Motorhead, ACDC, pretty much stuck to the formula but that mm -hmm. really worked for those bands for those but, bands absolutely not everyone can get away with that but those two no you don't want much variation in that you want a motorhead yeah. record you want an acdc record to sound like it's going to sound and then you have bands like metallica who i think are more in that zeppelin beatles pink floyd sort of thing where you have this expansive catalog that has all these different shades to it and you can pinpoint a little bit like what decade it was or what was happening within the band or around the band, but that it was always authentic, that it was always what they wanted to be doing right then. And, yeah. you know, you, you don't, you often don't understand that as a fan until a few years pass and you can see it in the context of, you know, I'm so happy saying anger happened because it, you know, it, the band's uh, survivability depended on it, right? Like they weren't going to be a band if they didn't make that record. Right, but, if, but at the time knew, I was like, "Oh, this is so hard to listen to." But now I now I appreciate it for what it is. Right, and then and they and they also they knew, "Don't do that again." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. This is our new sound for forevermore. It was more. This is a moment in time. Yeah. And Lulu and like with Lulu it was like, okay, I gave it a couple of honest shots to see if maybe uh, you know I could figure out you know what they love so much about it. I didn't, but. I also wasn't worried about them, you know, going out on tour with Lou Reed and doing five or six songs from the album. Right. So in that sense, that album didn't really piss me off. And, and but I understood why they did it because they could. Yes. I, you know, and I've said this on the podcast before, so I'll, I'll, I'll be brief. But my, my take on that is I understand absolutely why it happened. You know, they jammed together the Rock Hall induction and it, it's Lou Reed and they were, you know, opportunity to make a record. Cool. I, if it were up to me, that would have then been something that went on a shelf. And then someday when God forbid, you know, the band can't record and tour anymore or they lose a significant member, you know, uh, then it, then it's this curiosity 
when they're a legacy band, when the greatest hits packages are coming out and the, you know, oh, did you know they made this weird art record based on a German opera with Lou Reed before Lou Reed died? It's weird. <laughs> then I think it could have been appreciated more. But I also, you know, I, and I'm sure you've, you've met him. He was probably on that metal show, um, which I watched every episode of, but, uh, you know, there's oh, so, thank many, you. so many guests were on it. <laughs> it's hard to remember. But, uh, but yeah, oh yeah, that was, um, that was, a, that was set your DVR TV for sure. Um, well, Lars came on to, def- to, he specifically called Eddie and said, I want to come on and defend Lulu. So, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I did that. I didn't know. That's amazing. I remember so he, Lars being on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it was Alex Skolnick who, who uh, opened me up to the idea that it's <laughs> like, you're sort of not supposed to like, you're, you're like not supposed to like it. Like that's kind of the point, you know, like it is like, it's, there's some records that are challenging in the sense that it takes you a while to come around to them, but almost like mm-hmm. that one, I don't know. He has this whole theory about it. He wrote a whole essay that he posted on his website. And when I had him on the podcast, I got, I got him to go so far as to admit that he did talk to Lars about it. Lars did read his essay and then he he was coy and kind of tap dancing, but, but it sounded like, it sounded like Lars like confirmed that Alex's take on it was correct. Right. Well, it worked. Yeah, that it's that it's art, you know. That it was just like, yeah, this is rah. I'm gonna force this on you, um, and that's cool. I mean, I I appreciate the punk rockness of making something that they knew people were gonna have a, a tough time with, and just doing it anyway. Yeah, you know? and I always said after that, I said, as long as Dave Mustaine never runs into Arlo Guthrie, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> No more of these. Ah, this is what happens when I invite a comedian on. I don't usually have these extended laugh breaks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's talk about that uh, in your in your career as a, uh, a journalist, one could say, right? Um, doing that metal show. Do you remember what the first Metallica experience was? First guy you had on, first, you know, um, what was the... The, the yeah. earliest connection between that metal show and Metallica. So it was, you know, the first time Lars came on, it was, that was a different time than the Lulu time, but um, he had come on and, uh, you know, he's just a guy that, uh, you know, I know that he's obviously, he was the original heavy metal whipping boy. Um, again, in the, it, looking back in the rear view mirror, it turned out he was right about yep. Napster and all that yep. stuff. And, uh, but I'll tell you, man, when you get one-on-one with him, you know, it just, you just turn 15 years old again with him. And, um, you know, I think he had worn like a, uh, he had worn like the rock and roll heaven shirt, which was the, uh, the flea market where, where Johnny Z had Megaforce and all that. And, you know, like we all geeked out over that together. And, and then he was cool enough. He invited us out. Uh, myself and Eddie and Jim and Brian Slagle from Metal Blade and we went out and we drank till like 4.30 in the morning at the Chateau Marmont and um, while the while the drinks get more expensive uh, when you're in a band like Metallica and you're very successful the conversation never changes (laughs) I mean we just sat there and he just played stuff off his iPhone 
you know, for, I'll check out this Deep Purple bootleg I just downloaded. It's from 1971 and, you know, only three people have it. And, you know, so it, it was, it was like a bunch of teenagers just sitting around listening to music, uh, just with more expensive drinks. And he was always that guy, right? Those are the stories you hear and stories I've been told on the podcast, but, you know, just had a guy on that has known him since they were teenagers. And uh, yeah, he was the guy and the kid in Orange County that had all the new wave of British heavy metal records that had the big extensive collection that had a plan that knew, you know, that had followed motorhead on the road and, and talked his way into staying with diamond head and all this stuff before, you know, Metallica was even going and off the ground. And just that, that love and passion for the culture as, and the music that the culture is built around. I think that, you know, no matter what polarizing things he's done in the eyes of the public and some fans, there's just an unshakable earnestness and, and passion and sincerity about him. And, I, you know, something I thought about li literally just yesterday that I think is perhaps, you know, we know Lars, the businessman, we know his, he's tenacious. We know all these things about him. I think probably my favorite thing about the guy is that he's curious he's interested in things even you know even, even when it became the art world or when it became you know cinema and all these different things that he gets interested in like he's curious about things he wants to know about people he wants to understand things and how they work and why people make the things they make and why things turn out the way they do and why something works and something doesn't and i find that so just endearing about him and i think it's such a important part of what makes that band work you know, just well, but yeah. Curious. The more, well, yeah. The more, the more you absorb in life, no matter whether you're a, a guitar player, a singer, a comedian, or whatever. The more you absorb, the more you can bring to the table. You know, to your art. So, I, you know, I appreciate that too. But I think the biggest thing that I appreciate about all the guys in Metallica um, is that they've just never lost the fandom. They're just mm. always yes. still fans. You know, to have to have Hetfield you know, say to me backstage at the big four in Indio, you know, shake my hand and say, hey, I hope you, you and Eddie and Jim know how important your show is uh, to our business. Yeah. That's like, you that know. That gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Eight years later, you telling me that. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it, yeah, and it, you know, he's a, he's a man of few words, you know, so yeah. the, the, the few, the, the, the two or three interactions I've had with James were powerful because he doesn't say a lot, but when he says something like that, um, you know, you really, you take that to heart. So, yeah. um, and, and again, the same thing with Lars, just, he just, he wants to listen to music and oh, Hey, did you, have you heard this bootleg? Or I just got this, or what's King Diamond doing? And is he going to put a new album out? And like, he just, you know, the fan thing is off the charts, you know, Kirk Hammett, coming on that metal show he came on twice mm -hmm. and he came on and he want and we set up he was we want set up a jam with him and michael shanker and oh yeah like, I, dude i remember that an ultimate fan boy yeah that's like his one of his idols yeah freaking yeah. out and so there's all these levels of geekdom right it's like there's <laughs> like you know we're out there in front of the, you know the audience the live audience of people who are geeking out over that they're at the taping of that metal show. Right. We're geeking out at Kirk Hammett <laughs> playing with Michael Shanker, and Kirk is geeking out over jamming with Michael Shanker. Yeah. So there's all these yeah. levels of geekdom and, and metal nerddom, and it, it's all pretty awesome. I, I totally agree, man. And that's also what's so great about those guys is that they, 
the way they pay it forward and that they've paid it forward from the very beginning. You know, it's like you look at the set list for their very first show, there's more Diamond Head songs than Metallica songs. And then even the Metallica songs, it's like, well, here's one that Mustaine brought in from Panic. Here's parts of a song that the Hetfield had in Leather Charm. You know, it was like they barely had a band, but they were just so into going for it. And then the, the way that, you know, since I started this podcast, having guys like Brian Tatler from Diamond Head and, and Biff from Saxon and, you know, Animal from Anti-Nowhere League, hearing the way that Metallica saluting them and covering their songs and flying the flag for them has like sustained these long careers for these bands that, that honestly otherwise would have disappeared into obscurity, you know, yes. and the way that they've, they've paid that back. And then they also continued to do that with new bands. Um, I used to be the manager for the Dillinger escape plan once upon a time. And, you know, Kirk was just a, a huge champion of that band. And, uh, you know, they put us on the, uh, the second Orion music festival that they did. And, uh, you know, Rob came out, introduced them. And uh, one of my favorite memories actually is, well, first of all, at that one, they, they did the, uh, the kill them all set, the surprise kill them all set on the first day of the festival, like two in the afternoon, they got up on the small stage and did uh, kill them all start to finish. That was amazing. But then the, the end of the festival, when they did their big Metallica headlining full production out in the middle of the field, one of my favorite memories is, is, myself and Greg, the singer from Dillinger, the Metallica, the Stern pinball machine had just come out and they had, a, they had them set up like in the artist area and whatever. And it's just me and Greg playing Metallica pinball for an hour, watching Metallica play in the distance. <laughs> just like, you know, but they're, but yeah, as you said, they're the ultimate fans of, of music, both old and new. So when you hear, you know, of course, Gene Simmons is the guy who likes to say this the most, but you hear it all the time. Like people that are like, Oh, there's no good bands. There's new good band, you know, nothing new under the sun. And there hasn't been a rock icon since blah, 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 blah. I think Metallica proves that wrong over and over. When you look at, you know, they take Gojira on tour, like that's an amazing band. And, and how many, you know, thousands and thousands of people are now being exposed to this amazing band that is essentially a new band, you know? Uh, and they just, they're always doing that. So it's just, it's amazing. No, and that's important. You know, that's the other thing. It's, it's, it's important to them to do that. You know, you know, look at Volbeat. I mean, their career skyrocketed yeah. because yeah. of Metallica. You know, they took Ghost out. They've taken, you know, the sword out. They've taken, you know, countless, you know, people out and gave them a stage and said, hey, you know, build an audience off of ours. You know, we, yeah. we want to support all these bands. And, um, and Lam- you know. Lamb of God, that's another one. Yeah. yeah. That was a pivotal and, moment for Lamb of God. You know, starting their own festivals, you know, where, which, you know, I, was, I got, was lucky enough to be part of the first one. Um, and, and being, hand, like you said with Robert, like coming down and introducing the band, being hands-on, not just, hey, you know, we got a lot of money, we can put a festival on. Yeah. Um, hire a bunch of people, make sure the bands get on. They were, they were going from stage to stage all day because Lars came down and introduced me when we did the comedy show. So yeah, they're, they're just, they were way into it. Yeah. And I've heard from everyone I've ever talked to at this point, which is a lot who are in, in bands that have supported Metallica and, and comedians. Um, uh, You know, I, I recently talked to, you probably know Joe Sib. 
Yeah. Um, he's a buddy of mine. Uh, even him, but, uh, but everyone who's been on tour with them, right. Has a story about the band just like checking in on them. You know, Lars popping in the dressing room and being like, you guys, okay. You got everything you need. Is there anything else we can be doing for you? You know? And it's like, yeah, they, they're in a position where not only do they don't have to do that. No one expects them to, you know, like if you got, to, if your band gets to tour with Metallica, you're not going to be offended if the band isn't like paying attention to you. You know, but I always hear about those guys watching from the side of the stage and and showing up at club shows in the Bay Area and stuff and, and seeing new bands. And it's amazing. Yeah. And this is why I never farted on them, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in your trade, they call that a callback. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I can't I can't write any for my act, but I can do them. On <laughs> yeah. Improving them. No problem. Um, but. Yeah, yeah I'm just, I mean, I would love to just open the floor to any and all Metallica stories that you got. I'm sure you, you have several. You've had a lot of great encounters. Um, what, what's your understanding of their relationship to comedy? Obviously, like you said, they've taken Jim Brewer on tour. They had you at their festival. They're obviously, they have a, a great sense of humor. You know, we've all seen and, you know, behind yeah. the scenes videos and, and things like that. What do you understand about their relationship to, to that? Well, I, you know, obviously, it's, you know, it's important to them. Um, Brewer, obviously, you know, very close with, with Lars and James in particular, um, you know, going on vacation with them and everything. And I, I was out with uh, last winter, I was out with winter 2019, I was out with Pop Evil. And at the same time, Brewer was out with Metallica. Mm -hmm. And people were like coming up to me after the Pop Evil shows and going, oh, we just saw Metallica with Brewer. And now you're with Pop Evil. And that's great. And they're like, they're like, oh, did, do you wish you got the Metallica gig? And I'm like, no, I go, no. I go, Brewer is the perfect guy for that gig. You know, yeah. you, you need, you need a, a larger than life comic to uh to to open for a larger than life band not that i would say no if they asked but sure um I just well i mean sib told me he ate shit the first couple nights and had and had to kind of get the pep talk from from brewer and from the metallica guys that were like don't worry about it you'll find you'll you know you'll hit your groove that's a, yeah that's an impossibly tough gig be out there by yourself <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, it's yeah. a real tough gig, but but um, you know, luckily, like guys like me and Brewer and Florentine, you know, we at least have that recognition factor with yes. the audience. So yes. it doesn't come off completely weird, but nonetheless, yeah, it's still it's still a really tough gig. Um, but it was funny when when we did uh, Orion Fest. Um, so we did I did the day where they played um, Ride the Lightning in, in its entirety backwards. Yeah. And during I, the day, I think the first set, time they ever played Escape, right? Or one yes, of the first be, times. Yeah. Begru begrudgingly. Yes. Hetfield's um, <laughs> <laughs> favorite song, Escape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He made some, he made a, some comment, yeah, like that. But uh, he or just said, I thought I'd never play the song again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, but in the daytime, it was myself and Florentine and Brewer at the comedy stage. And, you know, it's, four in the afternoon there's it's you know thousands of you know metallica fans and metalheads and they're all sweaty it's august the middle of the day everyone's you know already half hammered and i gotta go out there and do it 30 minutes and it was like you know i mean i was terrified dude and um and then i see i see lars come down on, in the golf cart and you know i had met all the guys at this point and we were friendly but it just made it just shot my nerves up another notch because I'm like now what, Lars is going to see me. What if I bomb? Of course, like I just, yeah. 
you know, like I don't need this large. Go, go somewhere else, go introduce someone else. <laughs> but uh, he, thank God he did because, you know, that really lent me a lot of credibility, mm. you know, being the first comedian to perform at the festival. And um, I remember, man, I, I probably got about 12 minutes in before I took my first breath because I was just so nervous and just, you know, and I was having a good set. So by the time I finally took a breath, I was, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, good. I think we got this. I think we're, you know, be, we're yeah. going to be all right. So um, I tell another joke and it gets this huge, it gets a big laugh, but it gets a huge applause. And now I get cocky. I throw my hands <laughs> up in the air like, yeah, I, mother effers, yeah, I got this. And then I, I see, but I see everybody looking over to, to their left, my right. And I turn around and, and there's Hetfield sitting on the speakers <laughs> on the side. I'm like, oh, see, that was for him. I thought, all right, damn it. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. You're like, hey, you you're, you're like, hey, can you do that again? I want to film this part for my next special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just have him come out and stand behind you. Um, and then, yeah. and then I, I walked off and, and, and James shook my hand and he, and he, and he just said, um, Hey, at least, at least we know comedy works at our festival. So that was nice. another man a few words moment that really left a big impression on me. It's like the Silent Bob idea, right? Like the character that doesn't say anything for two thirds of the movie. And then <laughs> when they do, it's this five page speech that, you know, tells the moral of the whole tale or whatever. Yeah. That yeah, has got that effect on, on all of us as fans and everything. It's, it's amazing. So when you're in a situation like that, like you said, you're barely even taking a breath that's then right where you just rely on the material right like you're like i've got my set it's tried and true um you know or, or are you also adapting the material to that environment a little bit knowing that it's you know a bunch of metallica fans or yeah, I was just starting at that time to develop, you know, a bunch of material about music and bands and stuff. Not not to the extent that I have now. Now I can, you know, now I go out and support bands and I do a whole separate set than my regular act. That's just about music and bands and musicians. And by the end of the tour, half the set is usually about the band I'm with because there's so much comedy when you're out on a tour bus with a band that it always ends up making its way into the into the act. So but 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 back then i was just sort of experimenting with it you know uh, jim and i had opened for twisted sister and mm. i think i had gone out with rhino bucket once and did a couple of gigs with faster pussycat so i was starting to develop it but it wasn't quite there yet but i you know i've always have and i and i still do work i like that that element of danger i like i like sort yeah. of the the idea that i i don't quite have this under control yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like when you it's like when you go when you would go see Guns N' Roses back in the day and you're like, I might see the most blistering three hour incredible set, or I might see one and a half songs in a riot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's kind of part of the excitement of going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so I just sort of I don't know, man. It was just a it was just a um a survival thing. It it, it reminded me of the I was talking with Florentine backstage and I go, you know, this it's just this reminds me of those those gigs we used those hell gigs we used to do when we first started out where you know we drive from jersey out to the like all the way out to the middle of pennsylvania like five six hours to like somewhere in the middle of nowhere and it would be a bar gig you know you know for like 75 bucks 
You know, there was no hotel room. You had to drive home five and a half hours after you said, you know, you know, the microphone, there was a 50% chance it wouldn't work. The people sitting at the bar didn't even know there was a comedy show. They have the, the playoffs on the TVs. They won't shut off. Now you got to go out and be funny for 45 minutes. So yeah. I'm picturing <laughs> go, like the, the blues brothers with the chicken wire, right? And the <laughs> <laughs> bottles coming at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I go, you know, we somehow got through it then. Um, so I'm just going to take that same attitude. I'm just going to come out and attack. Yeah. And um, I, we'll see what happens, man. And, but l- luckily, um, luckily they were on our side. So it, it, it all worked out and, and then it just snowballed from there. That's really when bands started saying, Hey, you want to come out with us? And yeah, it became a thing. I think it's a, it's a very cool thing. And like you said, it, 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 it was a thing and then it wasn't, there's that amazing story. I'm sure you've probably heard or read uh, Bobcat when he was on the Nirvana tour that you mentioned uh, in Chicago there had been some big tragedy. I think it might've been, you know, Michael Jordan's father or was it something, some big sports tragedy. And I heard Bobcat telling this story once on a podcast, but basically he came out on stage opening for Nirvana and just said, you know, did whatever joke that was just the wrong joke at the wrong time about the wrong thing, but also on purpose. Cause it was kind of a story about how that's, that's the mode Bobcat was in at that time. Uh, but yeah, but the story ends with like, he had to have like a police escort out of the venue because the audience was ready to tear him. Limb wow. from limb. Uh, so yeah, so that's one way of, of opening for a band as a comic. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like you said, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until you pointed it out, but there was a long period where I guess that wasn't quote unquote cool to do anymore because you just, you just didn't see it. Um, do you have any kind of handle on why that is or what the, what the change was? Why it, one, well, one day I, it was cool, then it wasn't, and now it's cool again? Well, because when you listen to grunge, you weren't allowed to laugh. So, ah. You know, <laughs> this, is very, this is very serious, dark, depressing music. You, you can't That's have, a great point. can't have fun. And as, as much as I, you know, I still like a lot of the bands from that era, sure. the, you know, comedy just didn't mix with it. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, of, of course, comedy mixes with Van Halen. Uh, you know, Jeff Spicoli was is the cinematic proof of that. Uh, yeah, I guess you're not. I guess you don't. <laughs> I guess you don't want to have a bunch of laughs right before uh, you know Eddie Vedder yeah. gets up and sings Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then new and then new metal came along, and it like it didn't really fit there. Yeah. So you know, I think you know. <laughs> This was about my horrific started... childhood. <laughs> did you guys did you guys enjoy that stand up comic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Wright wasn't he great? Anyway, this song is about uh, my <laughs> uncle. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it makes more sense. Um, yeah, and you know what? There's probably more of an eclecticism too. I, I feel like it's I call it like the shuffle generation. Like you know, post iPod. You know, it used to be when we were growing up. It's like you're into this kind of music, you hang out with these kind of people, you look this way, you're into the, you know, and, and now it just seems like it's so wide open where people like everything. So that's, pro- yeah. I would imagine that's probably helping too, where it's like, oh yeah, why not a stand-up comedian and then a DJ is going to spin a hip hop set and then a black metal band is going to play, you know, people are more like open to, you know, variety, I guess, in their, 
Yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed that over the last 10 years, Ryan. I mean, you know, Kiss took a painter out on the road, you know. So on, on that first part of the uh, end of the road tour, they had a painter for a while. So I would always tell crowds, you know, if you if you liked me, I'm a comedian Don Jameson. If you didn't laugh, I'm painter Don Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Kiss did that. I, yeah, I remember. And, and it was, and they had uh, Roth out with them, right, on the last before the yeah. world ended. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A painter. What did the painter do? do just... he, he was like a rock and roll painter. You know, he had all choreographed to music and stuff, and you know, he had all kinds of crazy stage moves and and stuff but so you know i think um i think people are open to to different you know especially on uh, you know that the sounds very show. paul stanley by the way yeah, <laughs> that, that right. had to be 100% paul stanley decision maybe maybe that's how paul you know maybe those were the paintings paul you know he just that guy did them and then paul signed them and sold them <laughs> or maybe they met each other in like you know their painting class yeah. Like, <laughs> Tuesday nights. The, you the should open center. for us. <laughs> you can paint anything you want except down. for Ace Frehley's face. If that guy shows up, right. he'll paint <laughs> <Yeah>. his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so you mentioned the Pop Evil Tour. Um, I've done, gosh, three or four, I think about every album. I, I usually end up getting hired to write their bios. So I talk to Lee every, you know, year and a half. We get on the phone for an hour and, and talk about his new record and all that. Just the nicest guy. That band, they're one of those bands that, you know, people don't realize they have like all these hits as much as one can have hits in the rock world in the last few years. Like they, they always have these singles that are always on the active rock charts and always all over Octane and all those specialty shows. What were those gigs like for you? I, I must confess that I'm obviously very familiar with the band, but I've never seen them live. So I don't know what that audience is that, that finds them. What's the, what's the pop evil audience? Yeah. No, well, they're younger audience, you know, for sure. Mm. Which was, you know, obviously for me, that was good. And it was a challenge, you know, when I go out with the, some of the older bands, you know, like faster pussycat or um, people like, or Anvil, you know, that's a little more in my wheelhouse, but, um, Pop Evil was good. It was a challenge, but dude, man, they, they, they treated me, uh, uh just like, as just, I was, a, I was another band member. Um, could, I can't say, I can't say enough nice things about every single one of those band members and everybody on their crew. And when you do that with an opening act, um, you tend to get a lot more out of them. Um, yes. so, uh, I was grateful that they were so wonderful to me because, you know, there's, I had a lot of anxiety going out and doing this and, um, and I, I knew Matt and I knew Lee a little, I knew Haley a little, but I didn't know those guys that well. So when, you know, they made me feel at home right away and it was just such a great tour and, um, you know, we still talk all the time. And, um, so that one, that one was really memorable for, for a lot of reasons, but just uh, just mostly like made friends forever on that tour. That's awesome. That's exactly what I would have expected just from, you know, Lee's the only one who I know, but he's just, he's so gracious. He's a sweet guy. He's uh, very insightful. You know, yeah. he has like lots of like a really good handle on who he is and what their band does and what they're aiming for. And that's always a pleasure when I'm sitting on this side of it, especially if I'm writing a bio 
to be talking to somebody who, uh, you know, can put a sentence together about what his band is all about. That helps. Yeah. It helps. He, helps. Yeah. Except for that, except that he would fall asleep in the, in the back, the back lounge of the TV blasting and right by my bunk. Other than that, he's a delightful guy. <laughs> luckily, luckily I don't think I'll, I'll experience that. So, um, so I want to ask you before we wrap up in this, you know, and not to belabor the tired uh, topic of the pandemic, but uh, I'm curious for you as a comic, like I went to the Metallica drive-in show when they did that a while back. Yeah. Um, it, it, and there, it was actually, I'm, you know, one of those people that actually still goes to the drive-in. There's a really cool one in Montclair, California called Mission Tiki. And my understanding is that it's a drive-in, someone who's wealthy through some other means who loves drive-ins bought it and refurbished it and has it as a running drive-in. So I don't think that it has to make money to survive, uh, which is how it's still been operating. But anyway, it was already a cool place that I like to go. And that show was, you know, Metallica in any environment is going to be awesome. It was cool. Uh, it was funny seeing people tailgating and, uh, you know, trying to make it feel like a concert. It was interesting. By contrast, uh, Three Days Grace, who were the opening band, you know, and everyone's trying to figure out what this looks like, right? And how to sure. do this and everything. So I'm not dissing them by any means, but their performance, they were in a recording studio. There's no one there with them. And the singer's doing like stage banter, you know, like, I want to see you guys move on this one. And it's like, but dude, you're three weeks ago in a studio somewhere. <laughs> like, um, so that was weird. Uh, you know, if you know the words of this one, sing along. Like he was doing all the, you know, and he's also, he's not making eye contact with the camera. So he's just sort of looking off to yeah. uh, invisible future people <laughs> spread out around the country <laughs> and drive-ins. So, you know, there's different ways to do this, all of which the long-winded thing I'm getting to here is on the comedy side. I, uh, it's funny, I actually had tickets to see Anthony Jeselnik at Largo which ended up being the last show at Largo before they closed uh, and oh, I wow. like on a Wednesday night. And, um, you know, this stuff was in the news enough that I was kind of like, eh, do I want to go to a comedy show? Is this stuff going to get shut down? I ultimately decided not to go. And then it was literally the next morning where they sent out the email on their list that like, we're shutting it down. It was the last show last night. Um, so the only comedy thing that I've done since then, two things, one is uh, I went to a, a drive-in show at uh, the Improv in Irvine. It's, they do it on the top of the parking garage. And there's like an, oh, wow. a, a big, inf like an inflatable movie screen. And the comics are up there. They have a little improv background. They're up there on top of the parking garage and you're in your car. And there's a table with concessions. And, uh, and yeah, they do their act and their broadcast. Uh, on the screen and that was weird and uh and then the other thing i did was but, then, but, but ryan the, the but the the idea is that at the drive-in shows that you beep your horn in yes in lieu of laughter I, yes. I mean i assume people are laughing in their cars but it's just so the yeah. comic can have some kind of you know audio feedback yeah. it's people beep their horns and yes. it like if if somebody called me like in normal times, if somebody called me and said, "Hey, we're doing a, a driving thing, and they're they're gonna beep instead of laugh," I'll go, "Please don't ever call me again." 
And then Florentine did one down Atlantic City. And he, I go, how'd it go? He goes, I stood on the back of a pickup truck. I did my act. <laughs> they beeped. And then that was it. I go, how was it? He goes, it was brutal. Yeah. And, and in, pure, in pure comedian uh, form, I said, oh, it was terrible, huh? Um, who books that? <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, it, that sounds awful. So are you going back and can I come with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're, we're all adjusting to, uh, to this, this new kind of world and, and, yeah. and everything's, everything's on the table right now, Ryan. Well, this is what I was going to tell you. Then the other, the other version that I did, um, and it was Eliza Schlesinger and uh, a few other comedians, but this was, I kid you not, and, and I apologize if this is old news to you anyway, but this was over Zoom. So mm -hmm. exactly like we're doing now, except there's a studio somewhere with the stage, the comedians on the stage, and then they're surrounded by giant flat screen TVs all over the walls. And if you pay a little extra to be VIP, your face can be in one of those screens as you're watching the comedian. Yeah. Which sounds super weird, but, but then when you do it, it's like, it, it was kind of cooler than the drive-in because, you know, the, the comic can actually see people and can hear you laugh. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And yeah, they're like, they're doing crowd work, you know, like, oh, yeah, Linda over there in the red shirt. Like, I mean, it's weird. But um, I don't know, that one, I think, you know, if I gun to my head if I had to choose see a comedy show on top of a parking garage in my car or sitting right here where I am right now via Zoom. I mean, the via Zoom was, was kind of cool. So Yeah, I did a Zoom one. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. I did one, one Zoom show. I did a birthday party for someone in um, Seattle. So, um, you know, she, I, she had a whole virtual birthday party. She had a band. She had the band Junkyard play and she had no, DJ. No way. And, <laughs> Junkyard, formerly featuring Brian Baker of Minor Threat. That was oh, is that okay? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, yeah. they, were, they were like the hair, one of the hair metal bands that didn't quite make it, but that was their punk rock yep. connection. Was, uh, yeah. So it was cool. I put on a tank top and a vest and, you know, basically the top half of what I would normally wear on stage. No <laughs> pants. Yeah. Put, the, put, put the phone up on my TV. I had my earbuds in so I could hear people laughing. I yelled into my phone for a half hour. 10 seconds after I hit leave, the money was in, in my Venmo and I didn't have to fly across the country. Yeah. You didn't, you, man, you didn't get a per diem. You didn't, you didn't get to eat it like <laughs> yeah. a strip mall Subway sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> you missed all the great stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I missed, I missed the scenic tour of the chop autonomous zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and now that you mention it and it's funny because it, it's a buddy of mine who uh, used to actually work for Metallica on their crew, but, um, I went to a Zoom wedding a few weeks ago. Wow. Wedding was in Chicago. Bride and groom had like family there, like really small guests. Everybody's masked up, social distance. And then the vast majority of us guests were all watching via Zoom. We watched yep. them say their vows. And um, it was definitely nice to be at a wedding and to be able to like, you know, mute myself and <laughs> look at Twitter and... <laughs> You know, like, do other stuff. <laughs> you can't, yeah, it's not really cool to do that in, in a real, real life setting. But. Yeah, you're like, it's the greatest day for, the, for your friends, the man and woman getting married. And, and, you're, and you're sitting there going, oh, damn, the Rams are down by 12. <laughs> Scrolling through 
Twitter and Instagram. Seven other devices going at the same time as the wedding. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'd love to have you back. Uh, this is super fun. And uh, when I first sketched out the idea for this podcast a couple of years ago, you were literally in my, I've got a, a running file of wish lists and, um so i was really happy thank you for yeah man thank you for reaching me out reaching out to me and and i got turned on to you recently through you know biff from saxon oh i'm close with so um i'm enjoying catching up with all your interviews man you do do a great job so this is this is a real thrill for me and i appreciate it awesome man dude that means the world to me that's 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 like a little mini hetfield moment you just gave me (laughs) there you go unfortunately i'm a man of many words but only a few of them mean something (laughs) uh balance in all things